Hi there, I trust that you are all doing really, really well. Well, I had a great time in Cape Town at Gospel Rama Church over the last number of days at the Thanksgiving uh, seminar. And so thank you so much for all your prayers. We had a powerful time of ministry there and God is just doing amazing work in Cape Town. So I really appreciate your prayers and um, I'm excited about where we're going as a church and what God wants to do in our lives. I announced last week, last Sunday, that we will be resuming our Sunday services on the 15th of November. Please diarize that 15th of November. Have a look at our website. Um, you'll see the new service times, the new start times for services. Uh, it will be a family service because the children will still be having their online Saturday um, events, Saturday services. Uh, so it will be a family service. So please bring your kids along. We'll be complying with the health regulations. Uh, it's a lovely uh, big hall at the Royal Elephant Hotel. So uh, it'll be, it's a spacious place. So we'll be able to practice the social distancing. We will still be uh, premiering our sermons on YouTube and also on Facebook Live. So those of you who can't be with us in person, you can still be tapping into these messages. The message will be the same. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you, God, for the lives that are being touched even right now. Thank you for the testimonies that have been coming through. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. And we pray that we keep going deeper and deeper and deeper in this revelation of Jehovah Rapha, Rapha the Lord who's our healer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you. Jesus is the healer. He's still the same. He hasn't changed his mind and he's still healing people. And so uh, we've already been receiving testimonies concerning healing. And I think next week I'll read out some of those testimonies uh, for you. God is up to something. And so let's be expectant. So today I'm going to be speaking on the subject of the theological barriers to divine healing, theological barriers to divine healing. It's so important to understand what these barriers are because what happens is sometimes people get healed instantaneously, okay, miraculously, but then as they step out and they start seeing the symptoms coming back again, those barriers kick in. And I want to share with you what some of these theological barriers are. So I want to encourage you to guard your heart because I believe that the enemy's strategy against us is to bring in these theological barriers. Now, there are other barriers to divine healing that I'll talk about on another occasion, but today I want to specifically focus on the theological uh, barriers. Now, I want to contrast this, I want to contrast these barriers with the purpose of divine healing. So let's just start off by way of introduction. You know, why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we doing what we're doing? Well, healing the sick helps to authenticate the gospel. You know, a lot of times we forget that, right? In John chapter 10, verses 25 to 26, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. So there's some people who just refuse to believe. 
And Jesus here is saying, these works that I'm doing, these miracles I'm doing, actually testify that the Father is with me, that I'm doing these things in the Father's name. In John 10, verse 38, it says, But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. So that's one of the roles of uh, miracles. It's an evidence. It's evidence right, that uh, God is with you. Now, I'm not saying all people who perform miracles are from God, because we know that um, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So there's some people who are anointed by powers of darkness, right, and uh, they end up doing what seems like miracles, false miracles, right? So we also have to watch out for that. But here Jesus says in John 10, 38, but if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I've done. Even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. So you can see that part of the purpose of the miraculous, apart from just healing people, is to also draw people's attention to God's power evangelistically. So that people will see that, wait a minute, there is indeed a God. Okay, you can see this uh, from what Jesus is saying. Um, so, so one of the reasons we're doing what we're doing, it's also to authenticate this gospel. Okay, um, the second reason why we're doing what we're doing, healing the sick helps to give effective pastoral care. This is so crucial. People are sick and they need help. That's one of the things we are realizing, right? People are sick and they need help. People in the church are sick and it, it should not be so. It should not be so. People are struggling with sicknesses. They're in pain, okay? They've been to doctors. They've been on medication. It hasn't been working, you see. Uh, there are a lot of gaps in the healthcare system, let's be honest. In this nation, in South Africa, there are a lot of gaps in the healthcare system. So the healthcare system also needs help, right? Um, we need to extend God's compassion to relieve people from illness and pain. So one of the reasons we are praying for the sick, we're healing the sick, is because of compassion. And if you're that kind of person where your heart has grown hardened, has become hardened, uh, with regards to this, and you're not healing the sick, you're not going and you're not praying for the sick, ask yourself, do I have compassion? Do I have compassion? Look at the ministry of Jesus. Look at the ministry of Jesus. In Matthew 14, verse 14, it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. What did that result in him doing? It says, and healed their sick. So when he healed the sick, it came from his compassion. May God give us compassion for the sick. Some of you recently have been sick. I've heard people saying, you know what, through this illness that I've had, through this challenge I've had with my health, it's causing me to be more compassionate toward people who are sick. That's just one of the things that happens. You know, sometimes I might have certain aches and pains and I'm thinking to myself, what about those people in hospital right now who have this permanently, okay? May God give us compassion so that stemming from that love, we will minister to people. Thirdly, Jesus commands us to heal the sick. You know, sometimes we forget about this. 
You know, we like to pick and choose the things Jesus actually commands us to do. You know, sometimes we've got this thing of like, yes, he says you must go and just love people. Yes, he says you must go and you must give to people. Yes, he says you must go and you must forgive. It's easier for us to sometimes say those kinds of things. But you know what? That same Jesus who said, go and be gentle, go and be generous, is the same Jesus who also said, go and heal the sick. And here's the interesting thing. He said it in the same breath that he said, and the same command that he said, go and preach the gospel of the kingdom. Now, look at this. In uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 2, you see that we have been called to preach the gospel and heal the sick. And he said that in the same breath, right? When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Can you see? It's stated in one sentence. It's stated in the same breath that he says, go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, go and heal the sick. So why do we skip out this part of healing the sick? We mustn't skip uh, skip that part. Okay. Um, Luke chapter 10, verses 8 to 9. When you enter a town and are welcomed... Eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So one of the signs of the kingdom of God coming near to you is, can you see what's happening? People are being delivered. People are being healed. Right? Uh, Jesus says, go into that particular town. When the people welcome you, what's the first thing he says you must do? Heal the sick. Heal the sick. Right? So Jesus came against sickness. He hated sickness. He did something about it. And we have that same ministry today. In Matthew 10, verses 7 to 8, it says, As you go, proclaim this message. What's the message we must proclaim? The kingdom of heaven has come near. What's the sign? Verse 8. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Some people need to take a note there because there are many people today where they don't have that mindset of, you know what, freely I have actually received this gift. Let me also freely give it away. They want something in return. That's wrong. Right? Um, can you see the power of this? Whenever we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, it comes with deliverance. It comes with healing the sick. Why, why are people today only doing one part of it, but not the other? Jesus commanded us to do so, and that's why we're doing so. In Mark 6, verses 12 to 13, it says, They went out and preached that people should repent. What went with that? Verse 13, They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Isn't that powerful? Okay, so it seems to me that it was so normal for believers to minister healing to the sick. It was not just the first apostles, but all the disciples. Do you remember how Jesus sent out the 70? Jesus sent out the 72. And uh, so my question is, at what point 
did something that was celebrated in the early church start being seen as a specialist aspect of ministry? Where it's like, oh, it's just those people over there. It's those pseudo-spiritual people there or those super-spiritual people. At what point did that happen? Okay, see, with all these commands for us to heal the sick, why is it considered a strange thing? In certain Christian circles, it's seen as extreme and embarrassing to even talk about miracles. People are embarrassed to share healing testimonies today. They would rather give a plausible medical explanation, you know, why they got healed. Right Now, <clears throat> I still remember when I was growing up and as, as a teenager going and laying hands on the sick and it could be even adults are doing it with, um, doing it for. And I still remember one of my, uh, it was actually my godmother at the time. She, she, she was so amazed and she was like, yo, Tendai. My home name was is Tendai. Tendai, wow, the way he was just doing the laying on of hands. Now she came from a church where it, you know, it was only special people who did that, okay? It wasn't just anyone. And she was so impressed because I was doing the laying on of hands. Now, I don't know who taught me, you know? Maybe I just saw it in the Word, and I knew that when you pray for people, when you pray for the sick, you lay hands. And uh, for me, that was normal, okay? So maybe you've also come from that background where it's only pastors who do that. It's only ministers who do that. I believe that there's the believer's anointing, these are the days of the saints and some of the testimonies that are going to come through. It's not going to be me saying, hey, guys, the other day I was praying for this person. No, it's going to be all of you coming with testimonies. Remember, write into us testimonies at gochurch.co.za. OK, and let us know what God is doing. And if you've got prayer requests where you want us to pray for you, it's already happening in our prayer meetings where we are praying for the sick. Then share them with us. Prayer at gochurch.co.za. Okay, those are the prayer requests. And then testimonies at gochurch.co.za. So I've made it very clear to you that Jesus instructs us. He commands us to heal the sick, right? It's very, very clear. And also we see in scripture that uh, miracles help to authenticate the gospel that we are preaching. So we can clearly see this. Now, to establish doctrine in the church, it's important to examine firstly what Jesus taught. And I've been sharing with you the various things that Jesus taught. Okay. And then we also look at what was practiced in the book of Acts. So what did the early church do? What do we see them actually doing? And then we also make sure it's aligned with what is explained in the epistles. Right. When there's alignment between those three things, when those three dimensions are aligned, we can say, cool, this is Bible doctrine. Right. And so what I'm what I'm preaching and what I'm sharing with you throughout this series is really the doctrine of divine healing. Right. The doctrine of divine healing. So I've made it very clear to you that this is scriptural. This is something we must do. But despite this, there's still some theological barriers that people have. And that's what I want to share with you. I want to share with you eight common ones, eight theological barriers to divine healing. All right. So in order to effectively heal the sick, it's so important to understand these various arguments that have exalted themselves above the knowledge of Christ. OK, it's also important for us to understand them because we will face them from time to time and we must see them. We must, we must be able to spot them, see them from a mile away, spot them from a mile away and be able to actually deal with them. The first barrier I want us to look at is the belief that God is the one who gives sickness to people. 
We need to deal with this. Because as long as you believe that God is the one who's the orchestrator of this, you're not going to fight God, are you? You're not going to fight God, are you? Okay. Now, look at these scriptures in the King James Version. In the King James Version. Because here's where the confusion comes, right? Exodus 15, 26. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So God's character is, he's the Lord who heals us, right? That's his promise, that's his character, right? Um, but we kind of get the sense when we read a scripture like this that God is actively putting sickness on people. Look at Isaiah 45 verse 7, all right? I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Micah 1 verse 12. Those who live in Marath writhe in pain, waiting for relief, because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. So the problem is that in the King James, uh, these verses are translated in the causative tense as opposed to the permissive tense and i keep mentioning this you see god permitted these diseases to come upon people but he did not create the diseases otherwise there would have been so many diseases before the fall of man all right uh, but this uh, but sickness and disease is as a result of the fall of man came after the fall of man you see um so god permitted these diseases he didn't create these diseases you see there's a hedge of protection that is over us in fact the bible actually talks about how god causes his face to shine on both evil and good okay but for various reasons there are times where he can actually lift that and then we literally end up experiencing the results of the fall we actually end up experiencing the result of uh, of the curse as it were all right uh, were it not for his protection, were it not for his covering, right? But he is the Lord who heals us. There's no sickness in him. There's no sickness in heaven. It's important for us to actually understand that, okay? And that's why if you study uh, the account of Job, it gives you quite a clear picture of how God can operate when it comes to some of, some of these things, okay? When a, a hedge that was over someone is actually uh, removed, okay? So there's no sickness in heaven. Sickness is not in God's nature. The people that get the most results, this is one of the things I found, the people that get the most results when it comes to healing the sick are those that believe what I've just said, okay? You won't find people healing lots of sick people who also at the same time believe that sickness comes from God. The people who are getting results today, who we can learn from, who I've learned from, are people who believe what I'm sharing with you right now and they get results. And I've told you before, I'm a results person and uh, I, I think I'm humble enough to learn from other people to see why are they getting these particular results, all right? So that's what I want to highlight. The second thing I want to say uh, that's a major barrier when it comes to healing the sick, when it comes to divine healing, is the belief that God sends sickness for my sanctification and my chastening. Now, what's to sanctify? To sanctify, it's, it's basically the process of making holy, 
right? The word uh, holy in the Greek is the word hagios. I've taught on this before, right? And uh, the word sanctify comes from that same root word. It's hagiazo, okay? So if you wanted to translate it directly, we could have come up with an English word, holify. That's what sanctify means. It's the process of making holy. And there's some people who believe that, you know what? Through this sickness, God is trying to make me holy. And that's why he sent this sickness to me. Okay. When we speak about chastening, to chasten is to have a restraining or moderating effect on someone. Okay. You're trying to restrain the person. If someone is very arrogant or someone thinks they can, they can do everything and beat everyone and achieve greatness, you chasten them. You kind of like, hey, you know, just chill out a bit here. You know, uh, let's just discipline you a little bit. Okay. So a number of people believe that God sends sickness to them in order to chasten them or to sanctify them. You know, some people will say, it is my cross. It's my cross to bear. Let me just say something. In scripture, the concept of carrying your cross is always voluntary. God doesn't put a cross on you, right? He doesn't force you to carry a cross. It's voluntary. When, you know, the whole concept of, you know, each person should uh, bear his own load, you know, carry his own load, all right? It's a voluntary thing. It's not something that's put on you. Now, let me just explain where this mindset comes from. It actually comes from the time when the church was being persecuted, right? Uh, you know, the Roman persecution of the early church. And what happened was there was a cult of uh, martyrdom that actually came out of that, that developed, where you actually gained a higher status, through suffering in persecution, all right? It's like I'm suffering this persecution, so I now have this higher status. And some people became saints in the process, you know, called this this saint and that saint, all right? And this actually continued between AD uh, 100 right through to AD 300. Now, when persecution stopped, unfortunately, this mindset continued. It actually survived the Reformation, okay? This mindset. But there's no more persecution. There's no longer persecution of the church. In fact, the church, uh, the state and the church were now together and so on as one. Some of you might understand that history through the Dark Ages. Uh, but for some people, they embraced sickness now as, um, as the same thing. Sickness equals suffering. Therefore, I'll get a higher status if I endure my sickness and I embrace my sickness. Okay? Um, and what I want to explain to you is that sickness and suffering in scripture, those are two different words. Those are two different words. And I really want to unpack this. Okay? Uh, in scripture, sickness is described as sickness and suffering is described as suffering. Um, of the 65 references to suffering in the New Testament, that word uh, pasho, where we get the passion from, you know, when we talk about the passion of the Christ and so on, right? Only one out of those 65, only one has to do with sickness. In Matthew 17, verse 15, when it's talking about the, the boy with the epilepsy, all right, epilepsy. And um, it's actually ascribed to a demon and he ended up being healed anyway, all right? Um, and that's where that word suffering is used. That's the only time it's used when it's talking about sickness, Right. All the other times, it's basically talking about suffering, right? Uh, trials, uh, tribulations, uh, persecution, that kind of thing. So, I like looking at it in the in the book of James. Actually, we can actually have a look in the book of James because this is where you actually see how he contrasts the two um, the two words. Uh, James chapter one verse two. Okay, this is where we actually see it. Right, the difference between suffering and sickness. 
James chapter 1 verse 2. Look how James deals with the issue of suffering when it comes to persecution. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Right? That's what he actually says. That's how we must deal with it. Consider it pure joy. But a few chapters later in James 5 verses 14 to 15, what does he say? Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, James doesn't say, consider it pure joy when you are sick and yield to it for God is trying to sanctify you. He doesn't say that. But when he's talking about trials, tribulations, persecution, he says, consider it pure joy. Okay, in the book of Psalms, uh, 34, uh, verse 19, uh, in the Berean Study Bible, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Now, because of teachers and preachers who misinterpret the scripture, making it applicable to sickness and disease, uh, Christians have actually forfeited their covenant rights to physical healing as a result of that. And they remain uh, subservient to diseases. We need to break out of this. Right? We end up conceding to the will of Satan rather than identifying with the will of God. Now, this verse doesn't say many are the sicknesses and physical ailments of the righteous. It says many are the afflictions of the righteous. And the word affliction, again, I just want to reinforce this so that everyone is so clear about it. The word affliction used in this case, in the original text, has nothing to do with sickness or physical ailment. Okay, It's actually the word ra'ah, which means trials, hardships, persecutions, calamity, disaster, adversity, wickedness. Okay, So in Hebrews 12 verse 6, um, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens, Everyone he accepts as his son. But to chasten there means to train or to teach, not to make sick. I'm hoping we're clear. I'm hoping the word of God is, is just washing you, washing you. We're renewing our minds with this. This is so key and this is so foundational when it comes to healing the sick, being renewed in your mind with regards to these things. Okay, In uh, Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to read from verse 9 to 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? I love, I love how Jesus addresses these issues. He's trying to show that Father God is a father. And you guys, you're also fathers, but you're evil. But some of the things you say God will do to us, would you ever think of doing that to your son? Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, I love how direct Jesus was. Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So we need to ask. Doesn't just say, how, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts? Now we know he does that. But Jesus here emphasizes on the asking to those who ask him. And he's talking about God's father heart. 
He's helping us to understand that when we come to him in prayer, we need to have a revelation of the Father heart of God. So I want to make it very clear. God is good. What father would wish sickness upon his child in order to train him up? How many of you can say to me, you know what, Paul, I really, really am longing for my child to, to get pneumonia just so that he appreciates life a bit more and is a bit more grateful, you know, for what he has. None of us would wish that on our kids. Think of the compassion you have, evil though you are, right? Think of the compassion you have toward your children when they are sick, the tenderness you have toward them. Now, what about Father God, who's perfect love? The third theological barrier, the third theological barrier that I want to deal with when it comes to divine healing is the belief that it may not be God's will to heal. Can you see, it's slightly different from the point I've just made, right, earlier on. I want to just uh, bring this home a little bit. You see, you wouldn't say, Lord, if it be thy will, please save me. So why do we say that when it comes to sickness? Why do we say that when it comes to sickness? Because we've already covered last week that healing is in the atonement, right? So you wouldn't say, Lord, if it be thy will, please save me. Christ taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is there sickness in heaven? Right? If you had a close friend or relative who actually believes that it is not God's will to save him, you would very quickly go to that friend or relative and correct them and show them God's heart for their salvation. So why don't we do the same when it comes to healing? Why do we begin to doubt? In Matthew 8, 16 to 17, it says, When evening came, many who were possessed by demons, many who were demon-possessed, were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. Now, this is so powerful because people were brought to Jesus and it says he healed all who were ill. Every single person who was brought to Jesus to be healed, he healed them all. There's no case of people coming to be healed and he didn't heal them. There's no case where people came and said, please heal me. And he says, I'm not too sure. It's not my will. Okay, um, so that's quite important to highlight. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. In Isaiah 53 verses 4 to 5, we covered this uh, last week, but I'm going to reinforce it. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, we are healed. Now, this is something that happened 2000 years ago, more than 2000 years ago. This is something that has already taken place. You see, because Jesus has already died for our sickness, the question of whether it is God's will or not has already been settled. Your healing has already been paid for. It's a bit like this. Imagine you have an expensive operation that you have to go for. And you, you, you're about to go for that operation. And then you discover that I've already settled the bill for you. It would be foolish for you to come to me and say, Paul, do you really want me to have this operation? Because I'm going to say to you, but I've already paid for it. I've already covered the bill. Why would I pay for something that I don't want to happen? Okay. 
So we should stop asking this question, is it God's will to heal me or not? Okay, if you want that healing, it's important that you're clear in your mind that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father's will. And he demonstrated the Father's will by what he did, what we see him demonstrating, and also for him dying on the cross. The fact that he died on the cross, not just for our sins, but also for our sickness. Okay, that is redemption. And I don't know about you, but I want to maximize on what he's granted me. This is very important. Okay, so that bill that I've covered for that individual who's about to have an operation, that bill has been settled. Person isn't going to keep asking me, Paul, do you want this to happen or not? He's going to be thanking me. And we need to start thanking God for our healing if we are sick. Um, The fourth thing I want to highlight as a major barrier And it's a very specific text that has often been misinterpreted, and you'll hear this coming up from time to time, is the case of Paul's thorn in the flesh. Okay, let's read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. Okay, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions. That's already a clue. In difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, I don't know why there's a lot of confusion around this, where people assume that Paul is talking about a physical ailment. You see, uh, whenever we see scripture, something in scripture, scripture must interpret scripture. Now, if there was another verse that shows that this is what God does to his children, okay, just to chasten them. Then we can say, okay, maybe this is an example of this. But I find it interesting that Paul, straight after talking about this, what does he say? He says, therefore, I will boast more gladly in my weaknesses. And then he actually unpacks them. He says, I delight in weaknesses. What are these weaknesses? In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And I believe that that's what it's talking about. Okay, he's talking about some of the trials he went through. Let me just unpack it this way. He talks about a thorn in the flesh. Now, here's the interesting thing. You know that there are 44 references to thorn in the flesh in the Bible. 44. Okay. And 43 of these are in the Old Testament. In other words, the only reference to it in the New Testament, the concept, is is this one. All right. And you know what? All the 43 that are mentioned in the Old Testament, all of them are referring to the enemies and the neighbors of Israel. Okay. And so I believe that that thorn in the flesh is primarily talking about probably the Judaizers, right? The guys who would literally go to places where Paul had preached and they preach another gospel and they criticize Paul's teachings and they get people back into a place of legalism after he had preached grace. Okay. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I've sometimes felt certain things in my life that can feel like a thorn in the flesh. And it's to do with these types of persecutions, being misunderstood, okay, Uh, being falsely accused, where you're like, but this was my heart 
but then someone sees it completely differently. We've had those experiences, haven't we? If you've been a Christian long enough, you've experienced persecution. That is that is major. That is really major. Let me give an example of thorn in the flesh where it's used in the Old Testament. In Numbers 33, 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live. And how many of you know that sometimes God allows that to happen in our lives today? And sometimes it keeps us humble. You know, sometimes your critics uh, keep you humble. You know what I'm talking about, okay? Your grace growers around you, okay? God can use those to help you become more patient uh, with certain people, right? He allows those things. And sometimes you pray, Lord, may it go away, please. May these people stop falsely accusing me. May these people stop criticizing me. May they like me more. And then nothing changes, all right? My grace is sufficient for you. I don't believe it's talking about a physical ailment, okay? <clears throat> I hope that's clear. Jesus never preached surrender to sickness. He never said just yield to sickness if you are sick. So why do people do so today? The fifth barrier I want to talk about today is divine determinism. Divine determinism. You see, this is a fatalistic type of worldview. And uh, it's essentially the belief that God controls all aspects of my life. So if he wants me well, then I'll be well, right? Um, so prayer becomes futile because the belief is that if God has decreed the sickness, then I can't change anything. You know, this is just what God wants. Que sera, sera. You know, I sometimes wonder for those people who believe it's God's will for them to be sick, then why do they still go to the doctor? Have you ever thought about that? You know, some people are like, oh, yeah, I think maybe this is God's will for me. You know, he's chastening me. But, but tomorrow they're going to the doctor, right? Then isn't that rebelling against God's will if you do so? I just, you know, wonder about that. Why do you rebel against God by going to the doctor for treatment, right? Uh, if you believe that that's God's will for you. It's strange how the same people that will go to a doctor for treatment are the same people that will resist when people offer to pray. What's going on, right? Now, here's the thing. If God is the one who sends sickness, then was Jesus the biggest rebel against God's will by healing so many people? healing all the people that came to him for healing. What was he rebelling against God? Because his, his ministry was characterized by casting out demons, preaching the gospel, cleansing lepers, healing the sick, right? Was he rebelling against God's will? If, if, if we should just be passive and then leave it like that. Eh, you know, maybe God has just given me this, okay? There's no hint of that in the ministry of Jesus. You don't see Jesus seeking God, saying, Lord, is it, is it your will? My father, is it your will for this person to be healed? There was, there was no hint of that. You know, the one time when someone said like, if it's your will, please, can you heal me? And he says, it is my will, right? So if you believe God sends illness, right? The, then resentment towards God in some form or other is inevitable. And Russell Dick said that. <coughs> the sixth barrier I want to share with you, theological barrier, is this, the fact that not everyone in scripture was healed. Now, watch this. I've been saying to you throughout that everyone who came to Jesus 
was healed. And that's true. Everyone came to Jesus and said, Jesus, please heal me. He healed. Okay. But not every single person in every single house, in every single town was healed. Okay. Jesus didn't necessarily go and look for people. Oh, are there any sick here? Cool. I'm forcing my healing on you. There were some people in unbelief who didn't get healed. Right. So not everyone was healed. In scripture and we even see this even in the in the um, in the book of Acts now let me let me give you some examples second Timothy chapter 4 verse 20 Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus ill in Miletus now that's also interesting so there are certain people who were in situations where they were left ill now we don't know the full story we don't know if he recovered after some time Right. So in the same way, not everyone who heard the message got saved. Right. And also just remember concerning healing that some people were healed gradually. They were healed as they walked away. And this is quite important to highlight this. And I'll talk about this a bit later on. You see, healing involves three parties. This is important to emphasize. It involves God involves the person being healed, so the recipient, and involves the healer, the person who's stepping out uh, to heal the sick, all right? Um, and there are various reasons why people sometimes don't get healed. And I'll talk about that in another message, okay? Some of the things that are, uh, are blocks to healing. And it's important for us to study those blocks so that we help people in the healing process. So we understand the barriers theologically, but we also understand the barriers even psychologically to healing, okay, and other forms of resistance, okay. Uh, but just because certain people weren't healed doesn't mean that was God's will. You see, sometimes when certain things don't happen, we end up just assuming, oh, so it's God's will. Oh, so it was God's will, okay. Would you say it's God's will for your child to be addicted to drugs, for example? No, it's not God's will. But they ended up being addicted to drugs. So why is it that with some other things, we're like, oh, it was God's will. It was God's will. Who told you that? In Matthew 13, verse 58, in the Berean Study Bible, it says, and they took offense at him. This is Jesus, right? They took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own household is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there. So he did some. He did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. This is one of the major reasons why a lot of times people who are greatly used in the healing gifts, greatly used to heal the sick in their own local church. It doesn't happen as much. Okay. I know of a pastor who, who's greatly used in healing and he actually shares and he says that, you know what? I found that the greatest miracles I've done have been the furthest away from home, right? And uh, he shares this in the context of talking about familiarity. Sometimes people look at their past and they're like, oh, there's this issue, oh, there's this issue. Why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? I'm telling you right now, could it be, let me ask you a question, could it be that we are not seeing as many miracles as God intends not because he does not want to, but because we've grown familiar with those he wants to use. Do, be very careful about familiarity. Because the very same people who you might be thinking aren't performing as many miracles as you'd like them to perform, when they go other places, those things are happening. And ask yourself, why? 
Okay? You see, our job is to step out and pray for the sick. The healing is done by God. The healing is done by God. You see, praying for the sick does not kill them. So why are people against it? Yes, some people are not healed. But let's not keep talking about that. Okay? About the many, let's, let's talk about the many people that are healed. Right? We've seen God touch many people in our ministry. Over the years, we've seen it. I remember there was a time we were pastoring a particular church and there was a particular lady, a middle-aged lady, uh, could say elderly, um, and uh, she was about to have, I think it was a triple bypass surgery or double bypass surgery, forget exactly what it was, but she had heart issues. She had had heart issues for 17 years. And we prayed for her as a congregation. So it wasn't just me laying hands on her, but she came up. We prayed for her as a congregation. She was visiting our church um, because her daughter was in the church. And it was amazing what happened because uh, a few days later, she was told by the doctors, you don't need to have surgery anymore. You're actually fine. You're cool. You're okay. And what was interesting is when they shared the testimony, they said, you know what? It's amazing how unbelief creeps into our hearts. Because you know what happened? Uh, we were told that uh, she doesn't need an op anymore, that she's actually fine. She doesn't have this heart issue that we've thought for the last 17 years she had. So we started thinking to ourselves, oh, maybe she hasn't had an issue. Instead of actually accepting the fact that she was healed. That's what happens a lot of times. You get healed, but you try to explain it rationally. Okay, we've seen people healed. I remember there was a testimony where there was a lady who had a particular type of cancer. It was cancer of the, the, the cervix and she was scheduled to start going for chemo. We prayed for her and um, um, this was just a few years ago. We prayed for her and she came back. She was told, you don't have to go for chemo anymore. You know, this thing is this thing is sorted. You don't have to go for chemo anymore. Right. We've seen God opening a deaf ear. I remember um, the lady spoke Tsonga. She couldn't speak English. And I had to have an interpreter. And at the time, Smongile, uh, Smongile Zembe, um, she could speak Tsonga. So she came. She speaks quite a number of languages, actually. Um, and uh, she came up and she interpreted and so on. But I'd had... The Lord had literally given me a word of knowledge. I had had a vision of an ear and the specific side of the ear. It was either left ear or right ear. And I said, has anyone got issues with this? It was a very specific word of knowledge. And this lady came up and she said, I'm struggling to hear from this ear. Boom, she could start hearing. Okay. We've, so we've seen God move very powerfully. There was a testimony of a guy who was healed of HIV. All right. I didn't see the actual certificate uh, afterwards, but I bumped into him recently. And so I'm speaking to this, speaking to this particular guy healed. Okay. Um, so God is on the move. And that's why I want to be strong with these testimonies and actually put them in writing. So that faith arises and people see that, wow, God is up to something. So our job is to step out and pray for the sick. Uh, the healing is done by God. The seventh barrier I want to highlight is secularism. Secularism, okay? The secular worldview is the world's attempt to explain life without God. It's the world's attempt to explain life without God. So a lot of these people are naturalists. You know naturalists, those who don't believe in miracles, 
Okay, they believe that there must be a scientific explanation to everything. They try to explain Bible miracles, you know, naturally. You know, the kind of people who will say things like, uh, Jesus didn't really walk on water. You know, the tide had gone out and, you know, he was actually walking on sand type of thing. You know, they say those kinds of things, right? They see miracles as a scientific impossibility. Naturalism is the belief that all that exists in the universe is physical material matter. Okay, um, and so it's easier for them to explain the wonderful things the ma that medical science uh, has actually done to bring about some kind of healing than to actually acknowledge God's goodness. Okay, we must believe God to heal the core issue and not just manage the pain. And I'm not dissing doctors because God literally also works through doctors. And in fact, there are many Christian doctors out there who understand the human body and pray for the sick. All right. So God works hand in hand with doctors, hand in hand with medical science. And I strongly believe that. Um, however, a lot of times when we take medication, we're actually not going to the core of the root issue. A lot of times we're just managing the pain. That's the reality. OK, um, but I believe that God wants to take us to another level of faith where we actually believe that God will heal the core issue and we're not just managing the pain only. Yes, it's good to get rid of pain, but I want the core issue dealt with. Can I hear an amen? Okay, I probably can't hear you, <laughs> but I hope you, you, you give a loud amen. We want to go to the root issues. Sadly, today, a lot of evangelical Christians are embarrassed by biblical miracles, you know, miracles are seen to be those things that are that are celebrated only by the uneducated. So we we like to give sophisticated answers to people and say, well, this is what happened. You know, scientifically, this is what actually took place. Yes, sometimes that happens. But a lot of times God has been gracious to you and God has healed you. So give him the praise and glory. God is very interested in our thanksgiving, by the way. And you see it when Jesus heals the lepers. He says, go, you know, show yourself to the priest. And then the one leper comes back who is a Samaritan. And Jesus is shocked that this one is coming and saying thank you. He says, why is it that this foreigner comes and says thank you? What's happened to the other nine? Weren't they also healed? So Jesus expects us to give him praise and to give him glory. And I love the way David in the Psalms talks about how he will glorify God. He'll give thanks and praise with loud shouts of joy in the midst of the people. So don't be shy about giving the glory to God when you are healed. Okay, He's very conscious of that and he wants us to do so. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, in the NLT, it says, Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Isn't that such a powerful scripture? Isn't that an amazing scripture? Okay, so don't be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the gospel for it's God's power unto salvation, the Bible says. And then finally, the eighth theological barrier, and it's a theological barrier, is to do with the speed of healing. You see, people need to understand that some healings take place instantaneously, whilst others may occur gradually. And sometimes you see people, because they haven't been healed instantaneously, what do they do? They get into unbelief 
and they actually short circuit the miracle that has actually already started happening. Remember that when you're getting healed, especially when God is doing it and it's going to your core, a lot of times he actually starts healing you from the inside out and certain things are happening in your body, in your system, even though you're still feeling the symptoms on the outside. It's so important to understand that. That's one of the reasons why when we pray for people, let's say someone is feeling physical pain on their knees, for example, I remember praying for someone who got healed uh, fairly recently, someone in our church. And as I prayed for their knees that uh, were very sore, I would say to them, scale of 0 to 10, what's the pain like right now? And so you start with that and the person might say, oh, I'm on an 8 out of 10, you know. Um, and then as the pain goes away, goes away, goes away, it's reduced, reduced, reduced. And you can either go right down to zero, or if you want, you can actually say, you know, 10 is I'm completely free. You know, there's no, there's no rules. Uh, there are no rules to this. You're basically giving him, asking for feedback. Where are you at now? Oh, the pain is going away uh, just a bit. Then you pray again. Oh, more pain is going away. Pray again, more pain, until it's all gone. So sometimes healing takes place where you need a second touch and you need a third touch, okay, for whatever reason. And you know that it also happened in Jesus' ministry. Do you remember when he prayed? Uh, when he, yeah, well, I don't want to call it prayed, but he didn't actually pray. He, he spat, right, and made that mixture and then he put it in the guy's eyes. The guy was uh, blind and he said to him, what do you see? And he says, I can see people moving around, but they look like trees. And it says he touched him again, right? He, he touched him again. And then what happened? He saw and he could see clearly. So sometimes that's what happens. So just make sure you don't judge whether God has healed you or not based on the speed of recovery, based on how instantaneous it was. All right. Uh, yes, we believe in God for instant miracles and we want that. But there are times when in scripture it says they were healed as they were walking away, as they got up and started doing what they couldn't do before. Okay. Even with those lepers that I was talking about, it says when they were on their way, that's when they saw that, oh, I've been healed. Now we don't know what the distance was between where Jesus was and where the priest was, right? But it says on their way to the priest, Remember, he sent them to the priest to be cleansed because he was restoring them to a place of worship because these lepers had literally been banished. They lived in a leper colony. You know, they had been banished from their families. They had to shout out and say, you know, uh, I'm a leper, I'm a leper. Stay away from me. They would smell because of the wounds because, you know, with leprosy, you know, parts of your bodies begin to fall off and so on, right? That's, that's, that's the shame that they were experiencing. And Jesus wanted to restore them to a place of worship and so he says, go and be cleansed, go and be announced as cleansed by the priest. And when they were on the way, that's when they saw that they were healed. What is that process? Was it five Ks later? How long did it take them to get there? Were some of them, uh, uh, you know, physically disabled so that they couldn't actually move that quickly? Okay. So we don't know how long it took, but on their way, they were healed. And so um, Jesus is in the healing business and sometimes it might take a while, but he's still healing you. Okay, so <clears throat> there's a two-stage miracle that we see and I just want you to see the scripture that it's in. It's uh, Mark 8, 23 to 25. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked 
up and said, I see people that look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His eyes, his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Okay, so um, this is something you can do when you are praying for people. It's also important to understand that sometimes someone receives their healing, but let's say they've been paralyzed, okay, and they weren't using their limbs that much. That, that, that leg needs to be strengthened now. And sometimes that's why uh, we can say, go and eat, you know, uh, learn to use that particular limb once again. But at the root, it's been healed, okay? But there's a process for the person to learn to use that particular uh, part of their body once again. Doesn't mean that they haven't been healed, okay? Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, I shared with you uh, the, in Luke chapter 17, 13 to 15, where there is the example of the lepers. Now, what I want to do, I've highlighted those eight barriers, and I'm trusting that we're all in a place of faith now, because we're going to do another crafted prayer today, and we're going to be focused on um, lower respiratory infections. That's what I want to focus on today, and... Um, if you're in that situation, if you know someone in that situation, let's pray this powerful prayer of faith and let's see what the Lord is going to do. I believe that there are going to be a lot of powerful testimonies that will come through. Okay. Today we come against lower respiratory infections. We recognize that they have been a common cause of death worldwide each year. We pray against every, every type of infection in your airways and lungs. We come against influenza or the flu. We come against that in Jesus' mighty name. We come against pneumonia. We come against bronchitis and in particular that swelling that you've been experiencing and that irritation of the airways leading to the lungs. We come against uh, TB, tuberculosis, in Jesus' mighty name. I come against bronchiolitis um, uh, in children in particular. We resist every and any virus that has been causing these infections. We come against every bit of bacteria that may be causing these infections. I declare that your coughing begins to cease. I declare and I decree that the breathlessness, the wheezing, the tight feeling in your chest goes away right now in Jesus' mighty name. I pray for those in high-risk situations, Lord, that you will give them wisdom to know what to do. If there's anything practical that they must start doing or anything that they must stop doing, I pray for those in environments where there is poor air quality or frequent exposure to lung irritants in the name of Jesus. Let these things be known. Let them be exposed, whatever is at the root cause of these infections. I pray for those that are addicted to smoking for, uh, for the grace to stop. Be loosed from this uh, addiction to nicotine in Jesus' mighty name. I pray for those with a weak immune system 
Strengthen them, Lord. Strengthen them, Lord. I speak to your immune system right now and I declare that it is being strengthened in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I pray for your protection, Lord God, over infants and little babies that are in crowded childcare settings. Father, I pray for them right now, for your protection over them. May you protect them, Father. I pray for those with asthma and I say, be loosed in Jesus' mighty name. I thank you, God, for a miracle. I pray for the grace uh, to rest for those who need to rest in this season. We send your healing word to every single person in this category of sickness. And we say, be healed in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Every bit of respiratory infection uh, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed. Be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed. Whatever situation you're in right now, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed. That bacteria, leave in the mighty name of Jesus. Leave in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray for this whole region, Lord, the whole lumbar region, Lord. I pray for that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I pray for your lungs right now in Jesus' name. I speak order where there's disorder. Whatever is damaged, I thank you, God, for a creative miracle right now in the mighty name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen and Amen and Amen. God bless you. Please keep joining us for prayer uh, midweek. We love you and uh, let's keep believing God for complete healing in all these situations. Bring your testimonies through uh, to us. We want to share them uh, this coming week because we want to ignite faith in the body of Christ. Amen. God bless you.